a series in Colossians, Lord of Everything. And uh, we are now looking at chapter 2. We're going to pick it up at verse 6 and read through 15. Now 6 and 7, Ryan touched on that last week. But many theologians and pastors and teachers will say that those two verses actually go both ways. They, they're an application for verses 1 through 5, but they also work uh, for verses 8 through 15 as well. And so uh, I'm just going to pick up the reading at verse 6. So Colossians 2, verse 6 and following. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, And established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elementary spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority." In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us, forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. God's reading for us this morning. Um, let us uh, have a word of prayer. Dear Lord, thank you again for your word. Uh, again, your word is life. Father God, we, we thank you that you're present now in spirit. And we pray, Lord, that you will give us ears to hear what, what you would want us to hear from your word. In your name we pray. Amen. Supplements. Supplements are big business. This past week I was walking through Costco and I noticed row upon row upon row of supplements, vitamins, you know, food, drinks, I mean, just endless supplies. Now we all know that supplements and some vitamins are very good for us and sometimes our bodies need the supplements. So that's all good. But I would like us to think and see and realize this, that the word supplement doesn't occur in this letter, Colossians, but its idea, its meaning is there. There were some in the church that wanted to supplement, and if you just back up with me a second here, supplement the definition, an addition designed to complete, to make up for a deficiency. And so there were some in the church who wanted to supplement, add to the gospel of of Christ. They wanted to add to the gospel of the cross, to to the gospel of grace. They wanted to add something to this message that Paul had given to this church. 
And they're thinking there was something deficient, something lacking in this gospel that Paul taught. And, of course, up to them. It was up to them to show them and to reveal to them what they were missing. And so that's what's taking place here. And, and, and so I'm paraphrasing, but what they're really saying is to be a, a real Christian, to be really mature, you, you need to do this. And you need to know this. And you need to believe this. And maybe, maybe even follow me. That's what's going on in this letter. And so Paul is addressing that heresy He's speaking right into it. It's remarkable. And we find that in verse 8. So, he says, so see to it that no one takes you captive, he says, by philosophy or empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elementary spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. It's, it's remarkable. In verse 4, in verse 4, um, uh, Ryan last week mentioned that as well. And we see there in verse 4 these words. I say this in order that no one delude you or deceive you with fine-sounding arguments. What were they teaching? What, what were they saying? We're, we're really not quite sure, but was it a secret knowledge that only they knew and they, they could reveal? Was it some, some philosophy, some man-made regulations? Was it even elements, elements of the, the dark spiritual world, underworld? Now again, oh, it was touched on last week, Ryan did verse 4. In verse 16 and following in this chapter, Paul spells that out for us. He spells out what some of those man-made regulations, human traditions are. And so I want you to know this morning, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on verse 8. Because we're going to spend more time on that next week. What I would like us to focus on, and what I would like to focus on, is the very last five words in verse 8. And there we read, and not according to Christ. It's, it's remarkable. Paul is so remarkable. He mentions Christ, and he can't contain himself. It's like the floodgates open up. He mentioned Christ, and oh my, he has to give a sermon on the person and work of Jesus Christ. He, he, he puts the spotlight on Christ, and there he goes for a, a number of sentences and paragraphs, highlighting, lifting up a high Christology of Christ Jesus. He wants everyone to, to see who this person, who this, who this God really is. And so uh, he, he's sufficient, he's preeminent, he's supreme, he's head over all, he's God himself. This section sounds very much like chapter 1, verse 15 through 20. And a number of weeks ago, I was able to preach on that. And words there in chapter 1, 15 and following, very similar to these words here, at least some of them, and some of the words here, very similar to the words there. Paul is lifting up high Christology, lifting up Jesus. Jesus is sufficient. No deficiencies in this God, in this Christ. You know, it's remarkable the FBI will tell us 
that if you um, want to detect or find a counterfeit $20 bill, what you do is you spend time, a lot of time, looking at the real, a real genuine $20 bill. And you know that $20 bill, that real $20 bill, inside and out. And so when you run into a counterfeit or sense a counterfeit, you can see and spot it right away that it's bogus and it's phony. The Apostle Paul, in some ways, doing the very same thing here. What does he, he, he counters a counterfeit teaching. And what does he do? He, he does touch on it a bit. But what he does instead is that he lifts up the real gospel, the real person and work of Jesus Christ. And this is what he highlights, this Christ. It's remarkable. And so, even for us, know this Jesus, study this Jesus, focus on this Jesus. He is supreme. And when we focus on Jesus, one reason why even Ryan and I in, in this church Often we will share with you, if you're talking with your unchurched neighbor or co-worker or friend, often we will say, we encourage you to, to read the Gospels. We encourage you to read. There you find Jesus. There you see him. <laughs> you see him. Read the Gospels. And, 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 and let this Jesus form your thinking in, in who he is. He's supreme. He's God himself. And not only that, when you study and know this Jesus, uh, you, you'll be able to spot something bogus and something fake right away. The theme for um, this morning, the theme for this morning is this phrase, a Christian is complete in Christ. A Christian is complete in Christ. And and Paul says something very interesting in verses 9 and 10. He uses the words fullness and filling. Fullness and filling. Kind of important words for him in this letter. You'll, you'll notice that there's no deficiency in, in Christ, and we are now complete in Christ. Full in Christ. Filled in him. Verse 9. Verse 9. Um, just a, a tremendous, powerful Verse here, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Just ponder that and reflect on that. It's a great Christmas story, the incarnation. In him, in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. In Jesus, God dwells perfectly. In Jesus, we see God. Again, that's why we share with our neighbors who are not familiar with the Bible, with Christianity, we encourage them to read the Gospels. In Jesus, we see God. But notice with me, if you have your own Bibles, you might want to circle this, the very first few words of verse 10. He goes on then to say, and you have been filled in him. And you have been filled in him. Another translation of the Bible says, and you have been given fullness in Christ. Stay with me here. Theologically, really deep. What is Paul saying? Paul's saying that the Christian is 
full or whole or complete, filled in Christ. Christ is our all in all. No need for supplements. No need for additions. Christ is our all in all. He's the one that redeems us and he's the one that sustains us. He's the one that empowers us and lives within us. He's the one who goes before us. Christ is our all in all. Now what follows is that Paul will unpack this little phrase for us. This idea that now you have been filled in him. What does that mean, Paul? What does it mean to be full in Christ, to be filled in Christ? What does it mean to have union with Christ? What does it mean to be in Christ? Paul mentions five truths that follow, verses 11 through 15. Five truths of what it means for Christian people to be in Christ, to be complete in him, whole in him. Five truths, and we'll run through each one of those. And they're found in in every verse, 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15. 11, the first truth, fullness in Christ. The idea of putting off the sinful nature. In Christ, we have put off the sinful nature. Now, what I need to say here about verses 11 and 12, let me just read verse 11. In him also you were circumcised, with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh, the sinful nature, by the circumcision of Christ. It's interesting. Some people will say that verse 11 and 12 are, are two of the most difficult verses to interpret and understand in the letter of Colossians. Thank you, Brian, for giving me this text. <laughs> Peter, I like what Peter says in his uh, 2 Peter 3.16. He says this about Paul's writing. He says, Paul's letters contain some things that are hard to understand. (laughs) And we're all going, yes, yes, yes. So back to verse 11. Look at the last phrase of verse 11. By the circumcision, it says, circumcision of Christ. Now that little phrase is important. Paul uses the word circumcision to help us understand Christ's death on the cross. Circumcision here is not referring to Christ's physical circumcision when he was eight days old, Jewish custom. Not at all. Circumcision, the word is synonymous with crucifixion or Christ's death on the cross, Christ dying on the cross. And so that's what we have here. Christ did not just have, and this is where it gets a little funny, Christ did not just have a a, a piece of his body cut, removed. Christ went all the way to death, cut to death, died on the cross. And so Paul is using this term circumcision to refer to Christ's death on the cross. And so by our being United to Christ, and this is very gets very interesting, the very first part of 11, by us being united to Christ, we were also circumcised. Interesting language. We're also circumcised in Christ. Not a physical circumcision, but a spiritual one. We're spiritually united, united to Christ. Notice what Paul says elsewhere in Scripture. Galatians 5.25 
And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Romans 6, 6 is even clearer or more to the point. We know that the old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. At the cross and in Christ, our human sinful nature was dealt a death blow, put to death. Christ was victorious. Now it's still alive. We know this body is still alive. We're still capable of sin. It's still alive, but no longer does it have the upper hand. So Paul would say, Romans 6. So Christ defeated it on the cross. This word circumcision is a a very deep word, a very found throughout Scripture. The circumcised heart is what God is after. God even says that to the Israelites in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 16, he says, circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. The heart is what God is after. And the idea of the spiritual operation that God does in the hearts, that word is circumcised, or it's as a metaphor used by Paul to understand what takes place in the heart when Christ comes within our heart. The old is cut away, the new comes to life. So the idea, the truth, being in Christ, put the idea of our, 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 our sinful nature has been put off or put to death. Big words, theologically, but again, Paul, when he seems to write, puts so much in every word every little sentence. Number two, a second truth of being in Christ, fullness in Christ, resurrection from spiritual death. Verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Interesting, again, all the the, the verb tenses here were past tense, What Paul is trying to say, it's a done deal. What Christ did for us on the cross has been finished. It's complete. A believer is united to Christ. And in Paul's language, and again, stay with me here, Paul's language here is that in Christ's death, his burial, and his resurrection, as we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and place our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, that work of Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, in some wonderful way, through faith, were united to him. And that reality of dying to sin, being buried, and being raised to new life in Christ, that's what's happened to us. It's remarkable. Remarkable. I'll read for you Romans 6, verse 3 and 4. Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ? Jesus, we're baptized into his death. And so here in Colossians and Romans, again, another metaphor, but this, this idea of being united to Christ, the metaphor Paul uses is this thought of baptism. We were buried with him, back to Romans 6, therefore with him in baptism into death, 
in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We are now, we are now alive in Christ. Eternal life, the life that God gives in Christ, the Spirit living within us, now, not just someday in the future, but now already has taken place. We were buried with him, we raised with him. Now just an interesting side note, I'll just spend a few moments on this. It's interesting to note that in this thought, the Apostle Paul uses the word circumcision and baptism. Two, two theologically, two very big, big words, big terms. Both words, if you think about it, circumcision, baptism, both words, Old and New Testament, uh, denoted or identified those who belong to the family of God. Circumcision in the Old Testament, baptism in the New Testament. Signified, they were right, a sacrament, a religious rite that signified those that belong in the circle of God's grace. Identify, identity markers. So here's the interesting question. Was Paul saying, put on your thinking caps, great for your city groups. Was Paul saying here that baptism replaces or fulfills the Old Testament circumcision, the rite of circumcision? And and if, he, and if he was, and many think he, he was, and if he was, and if, if so, are, are, are children and infants now included in that circle of grace? They were in the Old Testament. How about now in the New? Now we know how Ryan and I think, and also uh, Damon and, and Megan, Heath was baptized this morning. God's promise to them and to their children. And and so I really truly believe Paul hints at that here. I don't think it's the main teaching of these two verses, but he definitely hints at it. But, But back to the main thought here, 11 and 12. Believers have been crucified, circumcised, the word Paul used. I think very difficult for us to think of that. But we've been crucified, buried, and risen with Christ already. So what is Paul saying to this church and to the false teachers? What are you going to add to that? It's already done. Jesus paid it all. We're in him. Price is paid. It's finished. No supplements needed. No supplements are needed. Third truth here that Paul, Paul just keeps going here. Third truth of being in Christ. Forgiveness. The, the, the slate is wiped clean. And you, verse 13, you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. The word forgiveness is, is so, so beautiful, profound. When we forgive, we release the debt we think someone owes us. They are wrong. They are wrong, and they have wronged us. But I will release them of what I think they owe to me. I will pardon them. I will forgive them. And now notice what, 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 what this means for us in theology, for Christian people. 
the Bible story. We were guilty, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3, 23. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6, verse 23. We're not able to save ourselves. The picture is very, very bleak. We have wronged a holy and righteous God. We are guilty, and we are spiritually. The wages of sin is death. The outcome is not pretty. And so we're in the dilemma. But God, in his mercy, sent Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave gave up his one and only son. Jesus took our sin and our guilt upon himself, and he paid the price. He paid the price. Atonement was made. He made the one perfect sacrifice for sins. By his stripes we were healed. By his stripes we were forgiven. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Just, just think of all, I think about this from time to time, just think of all the transgressions, sins, wrongs, thought, word, and deed, that you have ever done before God in your life. <laughs> Some people are shaking their heads. No, don't go there, Pastor Andy. Maybe even this morning. <laughs> Imagine if a recorder was placed in my, my mind and I was able to turn around and on the screen would be, be recorded all of my wrongs and transgressions that I ever did before God. For all to see. Be a bit embarrassing. And then I think about this. I think, you know, when it comes to our own sinfulness, don't we have a lot in common? Would, would my, in many ways, would my sinfulness and my list, we'd be here a long, long time, by the way, would my list be really any different than the rest? Why is it so difficult, just a little side, why is it so difficult for us to confess our sins to each other as if my sin is so unique, no one else has experienced it? Just a thought, side thought. But now, what is Paul saying here? He, he's saying that now in Christ and his atonement, the screen has been deleted wiped clean, erased. Father God, because of Christ, does not, does not hold against us our sins. The debt has been paid, and we are forgiven. We are pardoned. Now we can have relationship, friendship, relationship with Father God once again. I, I just think of, of um, Christian in Pilgrim's Progress, the book, where, where, he, where he's walking around with a sack of stones on his back, the debt. But when he, when he experiences the grace of Christ, the grace of God, the stack of stones, the debt rolls off his back, and he's able to stand up straight. He's free. He's set free. He's forgiven. He's a new creation in Christ. That's what Paul is saying for us, that all the debt has been paid for and we're forgiven. Congregation, all of, for all of us here today, have you experienced God's forgiveness? I mean, 
You hear it, you say it perhaps, but in your core of your being, do you realize and know that in Christ you're forgiven? Every thought, every word, every deed in Christ forgiven. You know a little phrase, oh, it's just too good to be true. <laughs> this is why the Bible's called the good news. The good news. Why is it good news? It's forgiveness. God's grace. Deleted all our sins. Forgiven. That's what it means to be in Christ. What it means to be filled in Christ, to have union with Christ. Number four, number four, deliverance from legalistic requirements, very closely related to number three. But we notice in verse 14, God forgave our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Now, the words record of debts, interesting term in Greek, it's a business term, a certificate of indebtedness. It's, it's like a little piece of paper that says IOU, <laughs> the record of debt. We are guilty. We are guilty. Now, the law, Paul's referring to the law here, the law was good, but because of our own sinful nature, the law revealed our sin, pronounced our sin, and condemns us in our sin. It's not able to save. It reveals our sin, but it's not able to save and never will be able to save. And that's why Jesus, it says here, Paul says, set it aside. Remarkable. Set it aside. Set it aside and nailed its condemnation to the cross. The debt has been paid and we are set free. And so law, Paul is saying, law in and of itself and legalism will never be able to redeem us and set us free. Never. Now that's interesting. I, I, I know some of us here, I, I know that uh, we have come from different church backgrounds. I've, I've talked to many of you about some of the backgrounds you've come from. And you will say, yes, we preach Christ, grace. We, we taught grace. How, however... Legalism, legalism, do's and don'ts really kind of carry the day. Carry the day. There's all sorts of things that we could do or couldn't do on Sunday, the Sabbath, and, and then what we were supposed to wear and not wear, and what we were allowed to drink and not drink, and, and the games that we could play and not play. And so they will say to me, when I look back in my past, what comes to mind about my Christian experience, church experience, do's and don'ts. Grace just got lost in the mix. Grace just got lost. And, and I know for some of us here, even this morning, some of us are still working through that stuff, through our past and so here's the, the question for all of us. In Christ and as a Christian, we have been set free. We have been set free from legalism. 
Are you living in that freedom? Are you living in the freedom that Christ has given you, that he's set you free? Number five, the fifth truth of being in Christ, being filled in him, the fullness that we have in him, deliverance from evil spirit beings. Verse 15, kind of an interesting phrase here. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So the evil one really thought on Good Friday, the evil one in his cohorts, they really thought they had the upper hand on Good Friday. And it was a dark day, but they really thought they had the upper hand. But Christ, through his death, but also through his resurrection, defeated sin, Satan, and hell. 1 Corinthians 15, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that little phrase in verse 15, triumphing over them, it's an interesting, it's a metaphor, the term, the phrase, it's a metaphor for general, Roman general, leading his captives into the streets for the citizens of his city to see. That was common in that day. And what is the general saying? I'm victorious, and here are the captives. Paul uses that very same phrase here. And he's saying that on the cross, Christ was victorious. And he wants the whole world to see and to know that Christ had the upper hand. Christ was victorious. Remarkable. You know, it's interesting to me that, that, um, that, that sometimes we forget the first number of words or the words in the Great Commission. Verse 19 reads, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Then he says, go and make disciples of all the nations. But in verse 19, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Christ is supreme. There's no, there's no one higher. The evil one, his cohort, has been defeated. Christ is the master of the universe. And because he is master, sovereign, Lord, then he says, hey, go and make disciples. You're able to go and make disciples. You will have freedom to make disciples. You can preach the gospel with confidence. You can go to people in the Ukraine, in India, in Canada, and even here in Kansas City with this great message because there's power in this gospel. I'm supreme. I'm Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. Go with that message. Go with that message. Wow, what confidence that gives us. I don't know about you. Wow, I get excited about this. Why? Why am I not sharing the gospel more often with my friends and my neighbors? There's power in this gospel, in this message of Jesus Christ. He is victorious. Head, authority over all. Wow, we can go with confidence. He, why? He, he has been victorious. We can preach with confidence. We can love our neighbors with confidence. We can share God's grace with our neighbors with confidence. Why? Because we know that many, because of the victory of Christ Jesus, many will come to saving faith when they hear this powerful, powerful message. It's truth. So application, very brief application. First, freedom. Freedom. Brothers and sisters, do you know that you have been set free in Christ? Set free. 
from the bondage of sin, set free. Are you living in the joy of this freedom? Are you living in the joy of being set free in Christ? Number two, application. Number two, second, why look elsewhere? Why look elsewhere? Christ is enough. If we're united to Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection, if Christ is the one perfect sacrifice for sin, the debt has been paid. If Christ not only forgives us, but also has defeated the evil one for us and his cohorts, why look elsewhere? Why look for a supplement, a spiritual vitamin somewhere else? Christ is our all in all. That's Paul's message in this, this letter. And then thirdly, thankfulness. Back to chapter 2, verse 7. Abounding, Paul says. Abounding in thanksgiving. Now isn't it amazing? If everything that Paul has said here is true, and it is, our response, our response is, thank you, Lord. And wherever you are here, maybe in your car, your prayer closet, you're able to say, Abba, Father, I cannot believe what you have done for me. I cannot believe what you have given to me. I will respond. I will live my life as gratitude to you. I'll live in the joy of being forgiven. I'll live in the joy of being united to you. A Savior who's alive, who gives life. And my life will overflow with gratitude. And the question would be for all of us here this morning, what does a life of gratitude look like? That would be a great question to, to talk about in your city groups over coffee. What does a life of gratitude actually look like? And all God's people said, amen. Let's pray.